السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Alhamdulillah, we're coming to a close to the end of our discussion in the life of the Prophet and the seerah of the Prophet and we've been discussing throughout the days uh, the main events and the major events that took place in this period of time and now we're, you know, we just spoke about the, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and the pact that was taken. And after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, uh, the Umrah of the Prophet ﷺ, followed by an expedition um, to the Syrian border. And now, inshallah, the time is uh, the eighth year of Hijri. And this is about 20 years into the Prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ, about 20 years into the Nubuat of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So now inshallah, the main event that we will be speaking about today inshallah is the conquest and the Fath of Mecca and the events that led up to this, uh, this conquest and what actually happened. Um, like I said before, we won't go into uh, a lot of minute details but inshallah, just to mention those things that we need to know. Uh, so we know the history and we know the seerah of the Prophet wasallam. So if we remember in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Prophet wasallam and the actual uh, uh, seeds that were set up for the conquest of Mecca were actually planted in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And we have to kind of remember now, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is 60 years old. He has about three more years of life and three more years of his mission. And the Muslims, they've been, you know, uh, ever since the nubuat of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they've been tortured, they've been abused, they've been pushed out of their own houses. And now for a, a good span of almost uh, 10, 11 years, they've been fighting the Makkins, fighting the tribes around them and fighting others, kind of fending them off and taking control of the uh, tribes and clans around them. And the Quraysh, they've kind of lost their leadership. Uh, right now, the leadership is under Abu Sufyan. But as we just uh, recently learned uh, from the time of the Umrah, Many of the leaders, such as Khalid bin Walid, uh, they start accepting Islam and they come to the side of the Muslims. So the Quraysh, they don't have those uh, tactical, skillful uh, uh, generals anymore. And so their will of fighting the Muslims is also going down. And they know that Khalid bin Walid, who is a great general, he knows Mecca inside and out. He knows if something were, ha were to happen, he knows exactly where to hit them. So uh, the conditions are being made for the Prophet ﷺ to take control of Mecca without any problems, without any issues. So one of the things that was done in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was if any tribes were 
allowed to make alliances with the Muslims, they were allowed to make alliances with the Muslims. And any tribes that wanted to be with the Quraysh, they were also allowed to be part of the alliance of the Quraysh. And so this was one of the uh, key moments and key points in this treaty that allowed the Muslims to spread over the kingdoms and send delegations towards the kingdoms and tribes. And we, as we learned the letters that the Prophet ﷺ sent, and this was something that uh, was the point in the pact and then this treaty that was actually broken. So when, when the Prophet ﷺ allied, uh, uh, wrote down this treaty and agreed to this treaty, one of the tribes, the Banu Khuza'ah, and these are the same tribes, uh, this is the same tribe that helped the Muslims in Hudaybiyah and they were feeding them and they were taking care of them. They, uh, they were along with the Muslims, but they also had a rival tribe. And their rival tribe that they've been fighting for years, and this was even before Islam. And they mentioned the story, you know, like I mentioned before, the Arabs, it, the Jahiliya days were such that they would find something to fight about. And that fight will continue on into generations after generations. So something as simple as uh, one person came into the marketplace of the other tribe and they said something that they didn't like. He beat him up. The next day, somebody else came and invaded their, uh, uh, their area, their uh, territory, and they killed some people. And then now for generations, there was manslaughter and there was killing. And that was the case in the case of Banu Bakr and Banu Khuza'a. Banu Khuza'a, which was uh, near the outskirts of uh, Mecca, and Banu Bakr, which was their rival tribe that had allied themselves with the Quraysh. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, the treaty of Hudaybiyah and the treaty that uh, went with Hudaybiyah wasn't just for the Quraysh and Muslims. It was for anybody that was uh, allied with those tribes and allied with the Muslims or the Quraysh. So now when the Banu Bakr, they allied themselves with the Quraysh, um, what happened is, is there was a dispute that led the Banu Bakr to take up arms and take up support and actually attack the Banu Khuza'a. Now, when they took up arms, the Quraysh, who were supposed to stay out of it and were supposed to keep their, their part of their treaty, they helped them. And they supported them with arms and they supported with them with men. So what happened is that in the middle of the night, you know, they go and they go attack the people of Banu Khuza'a. And they attack them and these individuals in the night, um, you know, when they're complaining to the Prophet wasallam, they say that we were at our homes and we were, uh, our people were praying. They were in ruku and sujood. And these individuals from Bakr, the Banu Bakr came and they attacked us. And we ran towards Makkah trying to uh, seek assistance. So when they went into Makkah, they went into uh, um, one of the the leaders and their uh, uh, leaders' homes to kind of get safeguard. And the Quraysh, what they did is they went into those homes, they killed them, they stole their belongings, and they, you know, they slaughtered them. And so the, the Banu Khuza'a, the people of Khuza'a, they sent uh, Amr bin Salim with, along with 40 other men. And they went to the Prophet wasallam to complain. That this event has happened, they killed us while we were bowing, we were prostrating in salah. And they 
killed us at this uh, oasis and we want you to help us. And they have broken this treaty, we want you to help us. So the Prophet ﷺ, he was very uh, uh, struck with this. That how is it that the Quraysh didn't, didn't think that this was something very uh, serious? How did they help them out? And so Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she mentions uh, while he's making wudu. He's overthinking this and she hears him thinking that may I not be helped if I don't help these individuals. So the Prophet ﷺ really took this to heart that this event and this uh, thing has happened. Now what are the options? So the Prophet ﷺ, he was looking for a way to go towards uh, uh, Mecca and take over Mecca. Like I said before, the Prophet ﷺ had three more years of Nubu'at. Now it was time to take control of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Prophet ﷺ still gave the Quraysh and the Meccans their chance. So what he does is he sends a delegation to Quraysh with three people and they have three options. No, uh, uh, he sends a delegation um, and he sends three options to the Quraysh. Number one, pay retribution and pay blood money to the ones that they killed. Number two, the ones that have broken the pact from Banu Bakr, take them out of the covenant and take them out of the pact. And lastly, if they don't agree to any of these, then announce and make Ilan that this treaty of Hudaybiyah has been now cancelled. So the Quraysh, they hear this delegation, they hear uh, what, what the messenger of the Prophet is saying, and they say that you know this is something that is never going to happen. We're not going to pay any retribution. Who are, we to, who are these people to pay retribution to? And then the, the people from Banu Bakr that attacked, they said that we're not going to take them out of our covenant and our pact. They're going to be exactly the way they are. And finally, they say, yeah, you think uh, this uh, Treaty of Hudaybiyah is going to be cancelled? Yes, we cancel it. We have no issues with this. And say, they send their messenger back to the Prophet ﷺ. Now, once they actually realize what the situation and the, the magnitude of what they have now done is, they send Abu Sufyan after the, the delegation, after the messenger, to convince the Prophet ﷺ to renew this treaty. Because now remember, they don't have the will to keep fighting. They've lost their, the cream of their crop. Khalid bin Walid is now a Muslim. And many of the, the uh, uh, leaders of Quraysh at that time, they started getting influence and they were becoming Muslims. So now they send uh, Abu Sufyan to Medina to kind of renegotiate and renew this pact and this treaty that they had. Now, Abu Sufyan, he was at that time the commander-in-chief. He was the leader of the Quraysh. So his words have a lot of gravity and his words have a lot of uh, uh, weight to them. So now when he goes to himself, goes to Medina, he first goes to his daughter's house. And if we remember, his daughter, Umm Habiba, was married to the Prophet ﷺ by the king Najashi. And she's in the, the household of Rasulullah ﷺ. And now what he does is he goes and speaks to her and they, she hasn't seen her father for about 15 or so years. So he goes and speaks to her trying to get her to convince Rasulullah to renew the pact and not fight the Quraysh. So the interesting thing is the events that took place. He, went, he goes and takes uh, uh, goes to her house first. And there's a very... Uh, 
you know, a humble, modest carpet, sajada, a, 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 you know, a small carpet that was on the floor. And before he can go sit on her, uh, on that carpet, his daughter, Umm Habiba, radiallahu ta'ala anha, she takes and folds that carpet away. So, you know, he's a little confused that what's going on. So he says, you know, uh, am I too good for this carpet? Meaning that this is a very bad type of carpet that you have to keep it away uh, so you don't disrespect me. Or is this carpet too good for me? Meaning there's something wrong with me that you just took this carpet away. So he said, I'm a little confused. Why did you just do that? And so she replies and says that uh, uh, you're a mushrik, najas, you're, you're, you're impure, you're, you have impurities. And this is the bed of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so he gets very shocked and he's uh, again amazed. And one of the things that we'll see, you know, uh, time after time that the people who weren't Muslims, they couldn't believe the fact that Islam had breaking, uh, uh, broken all the ties of family, tribes, and this pride that people had about amongst themselves. That this is a person from uh, Arab. And that is a man from Abyssinia. So Islam did away with all of that. So people couldn't really understand it. And they, they couldn't understand that Islam brought people together closer and made them stronger in ties more than family, tribes and clans and any of these could. So he couldn't understand that. And he says, oh, my daughter, you know, you've fallen into some evil thing after I've left you, after my absence. He couldn't understand how Deen had, uh, Islam had made the ties. Because here is the daughter saying that, uh, uh, you know, you're impure and I'm not going to let you sit on the bed of the Prophet Wasallam. So anyhow, she doesn't allow, uh, she doesn't assist him and she doesn't help him out. And he now has no choice. So he goes to the other companions. He goes to, then he goes to the Prophet Wasallam. And as he's facing him, the Prophet ﷺ turns around and he comes from the other side and he still turns around. He doesn't give him any reply. And one of the things that... <coughs> one of the things that uh, um, would happen is uh, he went to Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu and he goes to Ali ta'ala anhu, Umar ta'ala anhu, all of them and nobody is ready to help them out. Nobody is willing to speak to him on... His behalf to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala who says after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has already made his mind, who am I to speak? Umar radiallahu ta'ala who he gets angry. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala who he, he tells him, you know, why don't you go to the masjid and just announce the fact that, you know, uh, you're giving your uh, asylum to the, the people and extending the treaty. So he says, should I do that? He says, go do it if you want. So he goes to the masjid, announces it. Nobody accepts, nobody, uh, uh, you know, the Prophet Wasallam doesn't accept it. And so as he leaves for uh, Mecca, the Prophet Wasallam starts making preparation and tells the companions to now prepare for a battle. And remember, one of the war tactics was that uh, when the Muslims would go out, Rasulullah Wasallam would not tell them where they're going. And he would prepare them and they would set out. And finally, when the place where they're going to attack or the place where they're intended to go, then finally it would be released and it would be told to them that this is the destination. So the Prophet ﷺ asks everybody to start preparing. 
the outskirts tribes, the people in Medina, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they start preparing for uh, an expedition. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he makes a dua that, Oh Allah, you keep this a surprise. And you keep this uh, a secret from the people. That even the people, the Quraysh, they don't realize what is happening. And the, the reason was that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam didn't want to do any bloodshed. You know, if you look at why anybody would want to do a surprise attack, it's either that they want to get their enemy in such a way that they cannot do anything else. Meaning that uh, they're totally uh, 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 surprised and they get hit and they get, you know, slaughtered. Or the other thing is you don't want to slaughter. And that's what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wanted. So he wanted them to uh, uh, not even put up a fight, which is why he made dua for secrecy. And one of the companions, um, Hatib bin Abi uh, Balta'a, he was from a weak clan and a weak family, and he had a son in Mecca. And he feared the fact that the Quraysh, if they find out that the Muslims are coming and there's an army coming, they're gonna turn their swords on to the Muslims that are there. So he hires a woman to take a letter to the Quraysh. And in that letter, he, all he says is that Rasulullah is coming to you with a terrifying army. And it's like a flood that is coming. And by Allah, if Rasulullah wanted, he would come alone and you would still be, uh, 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 he would still be victorious amongst you. And all he says is, you should therefore think about your consequences. So that's what the letter he sends to the Quraysh. But what this letter does is it tells the Quraysh that the Muslims are coming. So the Prophet ﷺ instructs Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu to go and find this uh, woman and she'll be in this valley riding a camel. And just as the Prophet ﷺ described, they went to that certain valley, they find a woman riding a camel, they stop her and they tell her, give us a letter. And she, you know, she's acting like she doesn't know what letter they're talking about. They search her belongings and she's not giving any letter. And so they tell her that the Messenger of Allah has told us that there is a letter with you. And by Allah, He does not lie. So either you give us the letter, you hand over this letter to us, or else we will strip search you. And we will make sure that we get this letter because we know that there is no way that He will be lying. So immediately when she heard this, she knew that they weren't joking around. So she took out the letter from uh, uh, either her hair or the pin in her hair that was it was wrapped into the pin, and she gives them the letter. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he calls uh, Hatib radiallahu taala anhu, and he asks him, "Ya Hatib, what is this? What is this letter?" And he he swears that Ya Rasulullah, that uh, uh, I did not do this out of becoming a, a disbeliever or a hypocrite, and he explains his situation. And so the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he says, "Amma innahu qad sadaqakum." That as for him, he has indeed spoken the truth to you. And you know, Umar radiallahu taala who is there, and he he just can't take it, and he says, "Ya Rasulullah, this this is a traitor, and let me do away with this traitor." So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to bring the status of the people, he says that he has indeed been a witness to Badr. And what do you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said about the people of Badr that do as you wish, indeed I have forgiven you. So this is 
the status of the, the people of Badr, the companions. And so he was let go of the Prophet ﷺ forgave him. So now in the 10th of Ramadan, in the 8th year of uh, um, the 8th year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ is now setting out to go to Mecca. And he takes the entire group of the Muslims, it's about 10,000 men. And they, remember, they, they have Khaybar, the goods of Khaybar. They have Banu Quraydah, uh, um, you know, weapons and arms. So they're very, very well dressed and uh, 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 they have their weapons and everything. And they set out on the way to Mecca. They meet uh, Abbas radiallahu ta'ala, who the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who was making hijrah. And he was the last one to do this hijrah. And there's no more hijrah after the conquest of Mecca. And so he meets him, and then the Prophet ﷺ also meets two of his cousins, Abu Sufyan ibn Harith, not to be confused by the Abu Sufyan we've been speaking about, the commander-in-chief. This was the, um, you know, the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ from his uh, uh, father's side. And Abdullah ibn Abu Umayyah, who was also his cousin from his aunt. And these were very close companions uh, foster brothers that would hang out and be with the Prophet ﷺ. But after Islam, after the Prophet ﷺ gave his prophethood, they became staunch enemies. And they would make uh, poetry against the Prophet ﷺ, mock him and say that we'll never ever believe in you. Even if you make a ladder, you go up in the ladder, you go get uh, uh, some kind of note or uh, 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 decree and bring that decree back. And then even then we won't believe in you. So they, they were very staunch enemies of Islam. But... Finally, they, were, they felt that Islam is uh, overpowering, it is the truth. So they were coming to Medina to accept. And so when the Prophet ﷺ, uh, in, with the intercession of his wife Abu Salama, he decides to accept their Islam. Now, when they're going into uh, the direction of Mecca, as of right now, the army still doesn't know where they're going to be headed. They don't know where they're going. And what happens is, in that direction, in that south direction, there's also the tribe of Hawazin. And they start thinking that the Muslims are coming to attack them because they used to uh, you know, plunder and do attacks and do skirmishes against the Muslims. So they're getting ready and they're getting their arms ready to uh, combat the Muslims. But as soon as the Prophet ﷺ gets into the, the uh, vicinity of Mecca, he turns towards the city of Mecca. And now, what he instructs the people to do is, this is 10,000 men. Right? The Arabs, they didn't know, uh, uh, they didn't count so many uh, uh, armies as big as 10,000. Right? So this was something that was very big in the sight of the Arabs. And what the Prophet ﷺ did is, is he asked every single one of them to kind of spread around the horizon. And they were made to go around the horizon and make fires. Now they're near Mecca. They just turned away from Hawazin to Mecca now. And now they know that the people know now, now we're going from Mecca. And the Prophet wasallam he's spreading the, uh, the army around the horizon. And, you know, in, in the camps, the Arabs, what they would do is, they would make a fire and, you know, 10, 15 people would be around the fire. But now what the Prophet ﷺ instructs them, to, uh, instructs them to do is 
every single individual make a fire. And every single person make their own fire and uh, uh, this responsibility was given to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu to carry out and make sure everybody is doing. So every single individual is making fire. So now what, uh, what it seems from in Mecca is the, the horizon is lit up and there is glowing, uh, uh, you know, the, the light coming from the horizon. And so the Meccans, they're, they're in wonder and uh, they're, they're surprised. What, what is coming towards us? And they don't know wh- what kind of army has assembled that they're gonna be now attacking Mecca. So they start sending, you know, um, you know, s- some of their men. Uh, uh, amongst them is Abu Sufyan. And, and this is Abu Sufyan ibn Harb, the commander in chief of Quraysh, not, uh, ibn Harith. So now Abu Sufyan, he sees this and he goes on a, on a, uh, you know, scouting mission. And him and his uh, uh, the people that he went with, they go see all these fires. And they see all around the uh, horizon, there's so many men. And so they're thinking now that each fire resembles about 15, 20 people. So now they can, you can imagine how many people, how many men they're thinking that the, the, the enemy is coming with. And right now they still don't know this is the army of the Prophet So they start saying that maybe it's a khuza'ah. They're coming to come take revenge. And Abu Sufyan says, no, no, there's no way this is the Khuza'a. Khuza'a is a weaker and a smaller tribe. This, they can't assemble this many men. And so they go inside and uh, uh, they go into the army's camp. And that's when uh, Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he hears the voice of Abu Sufyan and he recognizes it. And he says that this is the army of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And if you don't make peace, he will conquer uh, Mecca. With this kind of army, he will conquer Mecca. And if you don't make peace, then there was, there's going to be bloodshed. So now, uh, Abu Sufyan, he's thinking about this. And he says, how do we, how do we uh, make peace? So he says, come with me and I'll take you to the Prophet ﷺ. And he puts him on his donkey and he starts taking him to the Prophet ﷺ. Now remember, Abu Sufyan, this is the enemy that's been chasing the Muslims for about 21 years. 2021 20, years and now he's been uh, uh, harming the Muslims and doing all of these things and now he's in the Muslim camp and so Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he sees him and he says that this is the enemy of uh, Islam this is the enemy of Allah let me kill him right now because now this is the uh, perfect opportunity he doesn't even have to go anywhere he's right here in the camp so he goes and he starts chasing Abbas and uh, uh, Abu Sufyan and finally they get to the tent of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Abbas says that I have given Abu Sufyan asylum I have meaning I have given him protection and that was something that the Arabs uh, they honored that a person can give another individual shelter asylum that no matter what even a child if he tells that this this person or a woman says that this individual I have given him shelter that it would be honored and respected so the Prophet Sallallahu he accepts his uh, protection and he says to have him come in the morning. Now the next day when Abu Sufyan comes to the Prophet Sallallahu and when he comes to the Prophet Rasulullah Sallallahu tells him that is it not time now that you accept Islam and you accept Allah? So he says that you know, uh, he accepted Allah. 
he he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one true God. But he had a he had an issue and a doubt with Rasulullah, the the, the uh, uh, last part of the Shahada. So he said, I have a slight doubt with regards to you being a prophet. So the Prophet wasallam he sent him back and he uh, uh, you know thought about it and he pondered. And some narrations mentioned the next day he came back and he had faith and he had iman and he gave the Shahada to the Prophet wasallam. And some uh, narrations mentioned that Abbas who he said, he explained and he gave him da'wah and he accepted uh, his da'wah and became Muslim. Now, when he became Muslim, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam tells, uh, uh, gives him a status and a position, saying that go to Mecca and tell the people that whoever goes to your house, meaning the house of uh, Abu Sufyan ibn Harb, and whoever is in, in his house is saved. Whoever's in the haram is saved, and whoever is in their own homes and closes the doors, they're saved. And so. He tells Abbas to take him to a, a mountain pass so he can see the army of the Muslims pass by. And this is something very interesting where he sees the different, different Arabs with their different colors and their different marks of their tribes and their clans being all under the banner of Islam. And so he's seeing the, the Ansar, he sees the Muhajirun and he sees his own, you know, uh, you can see his own generals that used to be under him, Khalid bin Walid, leading a whole army of a thousand. So he's seeing all of this, and then he sees Banu uh, Ghatafan, who were staunch enemies, and now they're now Muslims. So he's telling Abbas, what kind of kingship is this? What, what kind of kingdom does your nephew have? And he says, this is not a kingdom. This does not come together by any king. This is prophethood. This is Islam. This is what Islam did to the hearts of these individuals, that they came together to accept Islam. And so then he rushes to Mecca and he tells the people that, uh, uh, you know, whoever's in my house, whoever's in the haram and whoever closes their door and uh, doesn't come out, they're saved. And so the Prophet wasallam, he split the army in few groups. And, you know, uh, in, in a summary, the groups were to surround and enter into Mecca in different, different areas. One was to come from the upper portion of Mecca. One was to come from the bottom portion of Mecca. Another from the uh, south side. And like that, from all the valleys of Mecca, there's the Muslims coming in inside the city itself. And now you may think that just like any king or any emperor would do, finally you have the enemy. Finally you've gotten the enemy and you're exactly where you want to be. After 21 years of uh, of fighting and after 21 years of problems and trials that the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims have been put through, you may think now the Prophet ﷺ is going to boast and come in with his head high. Now, look at me, I am the conqueror. But the Prophet ﷺ, the way he came into uh, Mecca with his head low, reading the the ayat of Surah Fath, Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina in a very humble, humble manner. The, one of the companions mentions he was so humbled that his beard was touching his conveyance, the saddle of his conveyance. It was as if he was all, almost into sajda. With such humility, the Prophet ﷺ enters into Mecca without any 
without any boasting or any pride. And when he enters into Mecca, he first goes to Ummahani's house, who is his cousin, the daughter of Abu Talib. And there he gives uh, uh, asylum to two individuals that she gave asylum to. And from the side where Khalid bin Walid was entering, um, there was a few people that put up their last fight, such as uh, Safwan bin Umayyah, Ikrama ibn Abi Jahal, Suhail bin Amr. These are individuals, all of them eventually become Muslims. Safwan later on, he says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, give me some time to think about, give me two months to think about Islam. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gives him four months to think about Islam. And then he later in the next battle of Hunayn, he accepts Islam. And same with uh, Suhail bin Amr, after the battle of Hunayn, uh, he, he also accepts Islam. Ikram ibn Abi Jahal, who was a very staunch enemy, he runs to the coast uh, towards the Red Sea. And his wife becomes Muslim and she sends him a letter saying that the Prophet ﷺ has given you asylum also. Come back to Mecca. But he says, no, I don't want to come back to Mecca. So he goes and tries to board a ship. And in that ship, you know, the story is that uh, uh, the person that was uh, taking that ship, he says, I want to make sure that everybody has a safe passage. So I want to make sure everybody believes in Allah. So he says, I was running away from Mecca that I didn't want to believe, but now I really understand that there is no gods that can protect me. It's only Allah. So he believes and he brings faith in uh, uh, Islam also. So now the Prophet ﷺ, he's in the house of Ummahani. Uh, these small group, they are fighting Khalid bin Walid and they, uh, uh, the, the little group is now done with. There's about 13 people that pa- uh, die and two Muslims that pass away. Now the Prophet ﷺ is... Uh, he rests, he takes a shower, he goes now for his tawaf. And he makes his tawaf. Abbas radiallahu ta'ala, who, who was a Hashmi, who was from the family of the Prophet sallallahu And they were the siqaya, they were the people that would give water to the hujaj, for the, uh, to the pilgrims. So he goes after the Prophet sallallahu is done with this tawaf, he goes, gives water to the Prophet sallallahu And then the Prophet sallallahu sees all the idols, in the Kaaba, around the Kaaba, on top of the Kaaba, inside the Kaaba. And remember, they had 360 idols. And this was the city of Hubla, the, the great statue, right? The, the God that they used to worship. So the Prophet ﷺ asked for the keys of the, the Kaaba. And he got the keys and he opened the keys. And each one of those idols, the Prophet ﷺ, he recited this, that now truth has come and falsehood has vanished. In al that indeed uh, uh, falsehood it always vanishes. That this was all fake and they can't even protect themselves. And he started breaking all the idols, and he cleaned the entire Kaaba with zamzam, and he returned the keys back to uh, um, Uthman bin Talha. And one, one thing that we learn from this is the Prophet ﷺ, he, uh, wherever he could, he made people, gave positions to the people so that they can be uh, uh, respected and have a status. So the keys of the Kaaba, this was the custodian and the family that was the custodian of the Kaaba. And from before, before the time 
uh, of the conquest of Makkah, it was under the control of the Banu Abdullah, the ones that were the uh, standard and flag bearers for the Quraysh. And so Uthman bin Talha, who had converted, he gives the keys to him and he says that this is for you. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he actually asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Ya Rasulullah, give me the keys. So that way, our family can have the honor of being the siqaya, the ones that give drink, and also have the custodianship of the Kaaba. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat, Inna Allah ya'murukum antu adul amanati ila ahliha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands you to return the trusts to the ones that uh, 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 you have taken this trust from. So the trust was given and the Prophet ﷺ gave those keys back to Uthman bin Talha and he says, only a tyrant will take these keys away from you. And that's uh, exactly what happens in the future uh, uh, in the history. So now the Prophet ﷺ, all of Mecca, they're at silence. They don't know what's going to be happening. They seen this immense huge army come from all directions of Mecca and they, their emotions are now they're, they're, gonna, they're thinking that there's going to be slaughter that's going to happen. And so the Prophet wasallam he looks at the uh, uh, Meccans and he tells them, what do you think that I will do today? What do you think that I will do today? And they say that, you know, you are a, a son of a very pious and noble person and a brother of a, a, a very pious person, meaning that they're praising, uh, praising the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they're asking for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They're saying that you know you're gonna do something that is noble. You're not gonna harm us. You're not gonna kill us. And if uh, 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 the rightful what the rightful thing is is that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam could have taken revenge, and he could have killed any of them. But the forgiveness and the the Mercy of the Prophet ﷺ can be really seen. You see, the, the, the thing is, is when a person is capable of doing a certain action, such as forgiveness, and only when that capability is there, is when it's valued. If a person, if this was uh, one year ago, that the Muslims, they weren't at, uh, uh, they weren't at the uh, conquest of Mecca, it was actually the Umrah or any other time when they didn't have control of Makkah, and the Prophet ﷺ forgives them, it wouldn't be so significant as now Rasulullah ﷺ has conquered Makkah, and all the Muslims are there in their armor, in their swords, in their gear. And now the Prophet ﷺ is asking them, what do you think that I'm going to do? And the Prophet, they, they say that, you know, you're a, a son of a noble, uh, uh, you know, uh, of a noble and uh, the brother of a noble, meaning you're, you, we know your lineage, you're a noble person. So the Prophet ﷺ, he forgives all of them. And this was something that was very great. After 21 years, everybody expecting that now there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be a, a killing, the Prophet ﷺ forgives everybody. And now there were some individuals that the Prophet ﷺ had, uh, you can say, death sentences for. That he said, find these individuals even if they were uh, clinging onto the cloth of the Kaaba, find them and kill them. And these were individuals that had harmed the Prophet ﷺ a lot. And such as Hinda, and such as Wahshi, and different, different uh, uh, Ikrama bin Abi Jahl. So, even those individuals, Rasulullah ﷺ, four of them were actually killed. The rest 
of the 15, they were either became Muslim or they were pardoned. This was, again, the compassion and the mercy of the Prophet ﷺ. Um, just to kind of end off, like I mentioned before, uh, there's a lot of details that we can go into. But the other great significant thing that happens now is the Prophet ﷺ, all the idols in Mecca, the idol of Hubla, is now destroyed. And all the small idols, they're, they're destroyed. And this forgiveness has changed the people of the Quraysh. Because they, they weren't expecting that. They themselves thought that there's going to be bloodshed. And when they saw that there's, uh, uh, after all of this, after all of their struggles, this man is giving us forgiveness, it changed them. And they accepted. It mentions Hind. Uh, she came disguised as a person so that the Prophet ﷺ would not find out who, who she is. And then finally she says, it's uh, Hind. Uh, bin Utbah and the Prophet ﷺ welcomes her and then takes her shahada and she says that in my eyes you were the most hated individual and the most hated tent now I can't see anybody more beloved and more loving than you so the people of Quraysh they start changing seeing the mercy of the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ declared that there is no idol worship there will be no pagan worship and Whoever believes in Allah in the last day, then let him not uh, let him break the idols in his houses. So they start breaking those idols. The Prophet ﷺ sent few groups to neighboring outskirts uh, uh, temples and broke the big idols, such as the uh, idol of Uzza, right? There were uh, Lat, Uzza, and Manat, uh, and Hubla. So these, the Prophet ﷺ sent people. Hubla was in Mecca, Uzza, uh, Uzza uh, they broke. And Manat, he sent another group of uh, Sahaba to go break that idol also. The only one that is kind of left is the idol that is in uh, uh, Ta'if with the Banu Thaqif. So now, the, the city of Mecca not only hasn't been conquered externally speaking, through actual power and might, but the people's hearts have changed. The people have now accepted uh, uh, Islam and it was something very amazing that they're seeing this in front of their eyes. That for 21 years, they were speaking trash and bad about Rasulullah And they were harming him. And not only that, fighting him and killing uh, Muslims, torturing Muslims. Now when the Prophet is coming with the entire Arab and all of these different groups from the Arab, from the Syrian side, from the uh, uh, Eastern side, from the West side. And they're seeing all of these... Uh, 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 Tribes and clans who are enemies to each other are coming now under one banner. This is something amazing for them to uh, see and uh, accept. So now this kind of starts the uh, uh, as one of the explanations of the ayat. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَرَأَيْتَ And you see the people, what's happening with the people, they start accepting Islam in uh, manifolds. One after another. And so this is the the... A manifestation of these ayat. And so now the next event that we're going to speak about inshallah tomorrow is the battle of Hunayn. And we only have, like I mentioned before, the Prophet wasallam 60 years old. We about have three years to cover in the life of the Prophet wasallam. Inshallah we'll cover that in the next few days. Uh, and inshallah end off uh, our, our discussion on Sira and our lessons on Sira. Um, just as a reminder, inshallah, today there is going to be a fundraiser at 6.30. Um, 
online. Uh, you can see the details on the website, on ICF's website, inshallah. Uh, this is a fundraiser for the operating expenses of both the Masajid, ICF and Masjid Zakaria. Um, I request everybody to partake in it and uh, be involved in it, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq to understand these lessons and to understand the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us immense love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the actions, the steps that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa took, and to make us fall into those same uh, uh, footsteps and those characteristics and qualities that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had. Wa